Joshua Tree. All right, Joshua, Joshua Tree. Joshua Tree. Trinus. Hey. Trinus. Big old Trinus. Big old Trinus. Trinus. Hey now. You're an all-star. Trinus. Trinus. Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Season's greetings and welcome to season two of the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am J.P. Mosier. And we are back Better than ever, breaking down the greatest songs in modern music history. The boys are back in town. Oh yeah, and that is not our song That's for the not day. That's the one we're kicking it off with. But it's a solid one though. Maybe we'll bring in a music drop for it. JP, how you doing today, man? I am fantastic, Rob. I just had a wonderful breakfast at the Music City Diner. Oh, yeah. You've been there twice with me, but we've never eaten there. <laughs> it's so true. We got up and left both times. The same day, within an hour of each visit, <laughs> we went to this same restaurant twice. <laughs> the first time, they were like, it's a 20-minute wait, and we're like, eh. And so, so we, we waited about 10, 10 minutes of it, we 15 were, minutes We were of about it. 19 minutes of the yeah. 20, and then we're like, we're going to leave. And then, you know, we're like, wait, you know, that does sound good. So we went back and gave it another shot, got our seat. <laughs> and while we're sitting there, a Jersey Mike's commercial comes on the television. So we were those people that said, man, that Jersey Mike's looks really good. <laughs> so we got up and left the Music City Diner to get a Jersey Mike. So kudos to Jersey Mike's advertising department. That's because right. Because you literally got up, got us to leave a restaurant in, in which restaurant. we were already seated. I had ordered the waters already. <laughs> they were, uh, yeah. So anyway. So today we're doing the Jersey Mike's theme song. <laughs> Jersey Mike's, it's so good. Have a sandwich, you'll love it. Nailed it. Yeah. Nailed it. So uh, the Jersey Mike's theme song was recorded in 2004. <laughs> Let's meet the band. Let's, <laughs> Cletus let's meet. Jones on banjo. <laughs> Jersey Mike on lead vocals. Oh, that's good. All right. Anyway, welcome to season two of the Great Song Podcast. If you thought we went on rabbit trails in season one. Oh, man. Wait till season two. Wait. Just wait for it. We've got an all-time classic absolute monster to kick off season two of the great song podcast i'm talking about where the streets have no name by youtube let's delay no further okay let's get right into it Feel the burn on that one. 
Just immediately. I was on my feet dancing. We were clapping. We were just clapping. We had our lighters out. It was amazing. It was great. We were in heaven. That is where the streets have no name by the one and only U2. It is from the classic album, The Joshua Tree, released in 1987. It reached number 13 on the Billboard Hot 100 here in the States. Uh, it is the at the tempo of 126 or 127 BPM. Uh, I'm not exactly sure which one. And it is in the key of D. The album The Joshua Tree comes in at number 27 on the Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. You want to take a guess as to what it's sandwiched between? Oh, man. Um... It's, sandwiched between, it's, it's sandwiched between actually two groups that neither one of us really care about. Number mm. 28 is Who's Next by The Who, okay. uh, which had Won't Get Fooled Again, which is admittedly a f- fantastic song. We're just not big Who fans. And number 26 is Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. R- oh, yes, not a, not a Fleetwood Mac yeah. fan. Me oh, neither. Lindsey Buckingham actually just left this week. Did you hear that? Yeah, I heard he got ousted. Ousted, yeah. Bye. Bye, Check Lindsay. you later, Lindsey. So, good in luck. Your t- in your tiny guitarness. In your tiny guitarness. Big treeness, tiny guitarness. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, Joshua Tree, number 27, great album, great, just, like, this is one of those where you just really don't skip anything, you know, you just go front to back on this one and, and love every every second of it, um, which leads me to my first uh, first rabbit trail of season two. First question of the, of the season. Okay, this is kind of a two-part question, but pick pick whichever part you want. Best opening track to a great album. So two two qualifications. So it has to have a good album. The, yeah, the album has to be great. Okay. And then what is the best opening track to a great album that you can think of? I have a I have a personal personal one that is not like widely considered a great album and then I have a couple of others. Uh my opening thought would be Bad by Michael Jackson. That's so funny cuz I picked a Michael Jackson album that's but, not bad. Which one? Uh, Want to be starting something from really? Thriller? Wow! Because it's starting something, yeah, okay. which is great to start something where <laughs> it says starting something, yeah, okay. and I think Thriller's his best album. Okay, I mean so, it's the all time it's it's, it's all time neck and neck up there with the Eagles' greatest hits, always for t- top album of all time. So can't argue can't argue with that. So I go that one. I wrote down two, and then I added a third one when we were just talking about something off air. That I just thought about. Um, so that would be that would be in my top three. Probably Thunder Road by Bruce Springsteen. Okay. Because I love that album, yeah. and I think that's Energy Out the Gate. And then Come Together, Beatles on Abbey Road. Ooh. So that's the one that I wrote down that yeah. I didn't even think about till we were talking oh, wow. out there. Yeah, that's, that's solid, too. I've got my other two are uh, 1984 slash Jump. Okay. From 1984 by Even Van Halen. Even though that's Halen. not technically the first track. Because 1984 is the synth lead-in to okay, Jump. So sure. I, I count them all as one, okay. you know what I mean. Uh, they lead right into each other, so I count, I count it as one thing. Um, and then another one for me, one of my favorite albums is uh, uh, Tapehead by King's X, which has the opener Groove Machine. Shut up, because my non-popular album... Was Dogman by King's X. <laughs> yes. That's the best intro of any King's oh, X. Yeah. Oh, man, I just got the chills. That was so weird because I wrote down Dogman. <laughs> oh, here. that's so good. I don't Absolutely. Think, I don't give, think, me dollar, give, give me a dollar. Play a clip of that cents. intro. Play oh, that. Yeah. Play, we're going to play some Dogman. All right. First, first unofficial uh, Sidebar. music of the, of the new season here. 
this is just a little bit of Dog Man by King's X. And this you, is how it comes in. You are not ready. Oh yeah, that rules. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about that song at least, or maybe that whole album someday, because it is rock solid. And that's how you know me and JP are so compatible, because we both went under the radar with the same with the band. same band we and both picked a different album. Both went Michael Jackson different albums oh, and yeah. King's X different albums. Oh man, I love this stuff. That's hilarious. This is good. Okay, so sub question to that Subse- okay. subsequent question: best one two punch to open an album. I'm going to give you Bad or Joshua Tree. Okay, so Bad starts, of course, with the title track, Bad, followed immediately by The Way You Make Me Feel. Okay, that's rock solid. Versus Joshua Tree, which gives you Where the Streets Have No Name, followed immediately by Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. Which one you taking? Man, see, I I think those would be neck and neck, so I'm going to defer to track three, mm. which is where With or Without You will put them over the top yeah. versus, speed versus Speed Demon, Demon on, on bad. bad. That's a good solid, okay. So that's, right. that's how I'll justify my answer. You went to the tiebreaker. And stay with, uh, with Joshua Tree. Fair enough. I don't think there's a wrong answer, but that's a good solid way to reach that conclusion, I think. Because, yeah, I think you got to go... With or without you, probably over Speed Demon, which I, I love Speed Demon, but I think probably so if you're going to call that a tiebreaker. And if you're going to put a trilogy together, those three together make more sense together, I think, than bad, the way you make me feel in Speed Demon. It's like true. If, if you are Very gonna, eclectic. Yeah, sort of, if, yeah. You, if you put them together as a, as a trilogy, I yeah, think yeah. they, they But uh, yeah, so uh, later on in the season, we're going to be getting into some album commentary, and I, I'm really excited about it because we're going to take some... All-time great, just classic, front-to-back, amazing albums, and we're just going to talk you through them as we listen to them together with you. And I, I have a feeling that we could do Joshua Tree. We may do Bad. We've got uh, some Sting in mind. We've got a lot of great stuff we're, we're hoping to get into with you this season, if you'll stick with us on and the And we're going to commit to do something Van Halen this season. Something so, Van Halen. I mean, we honestly. We can't believe we've waited this long. We tried to push it off because I, I don't want to come off as such a fanboy, so we didn't want to immediately be like, Van Halen, dude! But it's going to happen very soon. Very, very soon. So anyway, back to the song at hand. Where the Streets Have No Name. Incredible opener, album opener. Maybe the best album opener of our lifetimes, at least. Um, and, uh, just in, and this is one of those songs that you could open a concert with, with 100,000 people, and it would go bananas. Or you could close a concert with 100,000 people, and it... Equal amounts of energy, maybe even more energy. If you close, like the, I've I've seen you two once. I know you've seen them I've several seen times, them multiple times. Yeah. When I saw them, I saw them in Atlanta in the Phillips Arena, and they did a big long set, and then they closed it with this, and it was like, you know, the energy in the room was through the roof all night. But then they hit this opening riff, and the place just went bonkers. Just I thought it was going to collapse. Um, uh, is that uh, the wh- other times I've seen them? They've actually done it in the middle of their set, really, which I thought gave it another dynamic because it's like, okay, we've rocked your face off for half the night, and just when people would go to the bathroom, yeah, it's right. like, just kidding, we're gonna <laughs> reel you back in. Um, now, one of them, the last time I saw them on the Joshua Tree tour, 
So they did some hits before and then did the Joshua Tree album. Just the whole album. So sure. that one you could kind of expect coming. But the other time I saw them at, at Vanderbilt, um, it was, man, it was good. And they Sanders did it in the middle of, um, you know, right in the middle of, of some goodness. So Basically, no matter where you put it, yeah, it's, it's going to kick the crowd into high gear. Uh, it's just one of those songs. And, and, and that was part of their goal with this song. Uh, they were getting ready to, um, they were packaging the album together and kind of finishing up, you know, okay, do we have all the pieces for this album uh, coming out in 1987? And they felt like they were a little short on exceptional live songs. And so um, The Edge kind of took it upon himself. Uh, the Edge is U2's guitarist. We'll talk more about him in just a minute. David Howell Evans. David Howell it. Evans. Um, he wanted to sort of conjure up the ultimate U2 live song experience. And so he one night uh, got his four-track tape machine and uh, and came up with this demo and, and gave what is one of the great guitar tones and uses of effects and intros of all time. Like maybe in rock history, this might be the greatest sort of guitar solo intro you know, to a song that's not a standalone piece. You know, it's not eruption that is sort of acts as a acts as a lead into "You Really Got Me," but it's literally just part of the song. This might be—I I don't know if anything tops it. Yeah, I can't, I can't think of anything. And it just immediately evokes this atmosphere. It sort of just you know so thick takes you to this place, man. And the the, the basically the song is about just sort of going to another place, like. Um, you know, there's a lot of debate online and people get very passionate about these kinds of things because everybody wants to be right, I guess. I, I don't know, but you know, people say it's about, um, Dublin or it's about, uh, you know, the, the desert area where the Joshua trees grow and, and, and it's about heaven and it's about whatever. And I think based on my research anyway, the conclusion that I've reached is it's kind of about all of it and kind of about none of it. Right. I mean, um, Bono has said even that it's unfinished, that, that the lyric is, you know, they kind of got something down and then it just was what it was and it, they never really got in and tweaked it. And, and he's even unhappy with a couple of the lines in there and, but that it's really just about a feeling. It's really about just sort of a, um, getting to a like higher sort of consciousness, you know what I mean? He doesn't put it in those weird pseudo spiritual terms, but but that's sort of what they just want it to to elevate the room. You know what I mean? So congratulations, because they 30, did it. Thirty plus years later, it's still absolutely elevate elevating elevationing <laughs> elevating maybe? elevating. Thank you. I was trying to make an elevation reference. Elevationing elevation. Ele- yeah. yeah, elevationizing the room <laughs> thirty years later. Yeah, absolutely. So congratulations, you guys did it. Uh, whatever it was you set out to do, you did it with this song. Have you seen the video for it? The official video? I think so. Where they're on the rooftop. Yes. It's you want to talk about it? Sure, sure. It's a, It was performed on the roo- rooftop. It's a, kind of a reference to the end of the Beatles when they, on uh, Let It Be. Yeah. They did an eight song set that day and they did streets four times. Yeah. So they did four takes of streets up there. 
Um, the cops that show up in the video, that's actually real. There's cops that are coming up on the rooftop to, to escort them out. And they had a backup generator up there for when the police shut the power off. Yeah. So the police shut the power off and they had a backup generator. And uh, this has been played. This song has been played over 900 times live and at every YouTube concert. Wow. So sorry to jump off from that's video straight to that. but that's, that's, that's great planning, though. That Like, that's a bit of uh, punk rock P- yeah. mindset planning yeah. you know what i mean we know they're gonna shut the power off yeah but we got you but we've got a backup we've generator. Got a backup generator yeah that's great and i love it kind of an homage to to the beatles their last you know rooftop concert their their, their final performance together um i also read that they it was on top of a i think it was a liquor store um, i think so yeah that sounds right and there was they, a sign or something and they and they went they went in and reinforced the roof uh, oh, before yeah. before the concert, like a couple days before the concert, they reinforced the roof and the ceiling in case it got mobbed by fans. So like, oh. and they said their basically their entire goal for the video was to get the streets of LA shut down. They said nothing annoys people more in LA than to have the streets shut down. <laughs> That's awesome. And so they wanted to gather enough people that they had to block off the streets and just cause a little bit of a ruckus <laughs> and just kind of upend cool. things in, in LA a little a little bit. Uh, and they were, of course, successful in that one too. Um, and outsmarting the police at the same time by <laughs> bringing that backup generator, man. Way to be. That was somebody's great idea. Um, I, I think it's going to be a little difficult to go any farther uh, before we meet the band. Yeah, let's meet them. Let's do it. Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. Hey! All right, we're going to meet the band uh, U2. U2. U2, the band U2. There's so much information on Bono that I could do a whole section on Bono. So I'm going to cherry pick some good ones and try to fly through this as quick as I can. Uh, Paul David Hewson is his real name. Um, other names he's had, I'm going to try to pronounce this the best I can. Stein Hag van Hewson Oleg Bang Bang Bang. <laughs> yep. Then okay. He, then he changed it to just Hewson or Heisman, maybe. Maybe it's Heisman. Houseman? And then he Houseman? followed by Houseman. Okay. Then he went to Houseman. Then Bon Murray. Then Bonavox of O'Connell Street. <laughs> And then finally, just Bono. Wow. Um, so he's had all these different names that he used. Bonavox is actually a Latin phrase, which translates to good, good voice. Good voice. Ah. So, yeah, so he's just Bono. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, so the, lots, of, lots of different names for, for Bono. He wears glasses, as you've seen yeah. pretty much most of the time. And that's not trying to look cool. He has severe light sensitivity. Um, so he, he is kind of, he, he does better with, with those on. Um, he, there's a lot that talk about Bono's Christian beliefs. I'm doing that in quotes. What's your take on that? Do you think he's? I think I, he's a. I think, think he's, he's a true believer, man. I think he's a genuine guy, and uh, and I, you know, I think he's really wants to do some good in the world. I think uh, honestly, I think he is. Um, you know, I think he exhibits the fruit of 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 somebody that I would look at and call a you know call a Christian. So yeah, I'm, I, I'm all uh, for it. I I was trying to think of like Christian moments on U2 albums. So like he does 40 on mm-hmm. War, which is I'm pulling out my CD. It's one of my favorite albums by them, which actually has another really good int- Sunday Bloody Sunday kicks off yeah. War. Mm. So that's a, another good one. Um, and for those unfamiliar with U2, if there are any of you out there, uh you know, one of the sort of themes of their career has been sort of weaving in Christian imagery and, and thematic elements. elements and, you know, that sort of, and so, and even 40 is taken just directly from Psalm 40. Yeah. Um, so actually that's, this is kind of not written down, but on 40 edge 
actually plays bass on mm. that. I don't know if you know that. And Live, he that. still plays bass. And Adam Clayton, who we'll talk about later, plays guitar. Huh. So that's the one song where they switch instruments every time on 40. Um, so that's that's pretty cool. Um, and even, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I, I, it's It's got some some Christian elements, yeah. I think, mm-hmm. in there. The Katinas still do it live. Um, and they do. They actually say, I finally found what I'm looking for. Ooh, no, don't. Just, just don't do that. If yeah. you're a Christian band, uh, don't, don't. If you're going to cover a song, just cover it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Don't change it to make it over Christianize it. Right? Yeah. Like, it's, don't, don't blame a secular act for using, you know, Christian elements, but maybe leaving something open ended up to some interpretation. And also, <laughs> if you're going to cover it, just cover it and yeah. let it be what it is. You yeah. don't have to resolve every question. You don't have to, you know what I'm saying? Like, don't feel that pressure, man. Just let the song be what it is. Don't ruin it. <laughs> uh, yeah, my, uh, and I think my favorite Bono moment, apart from you two, is for those of y'all, my favorite movie ever is Across the Universe. I don't know if you've even seen okay, it. Okay, I have it's, not. It's but my yeah. favorite. He does he a part, he plays a part called Dr. Robert, and he does one of the best versions of I Am the Walrus that you'll ever hear. Really? It is so good. If you That's haven't funny. heard it, go listen to it. When you Pause it and come back. Pause it. I'm just kidding. Don't. That's a long no, movie. Keep, keep it going. Yeah. Um, the, his first concert ever, Bono, was he saw The Clash. And he saw, Makes the, sense. he saw the clash and said, you know, I definitely want to do that. Um, and Bono's the only person in history of the world, which I think this is great to have, to be nominated for an Academy award, a Nobel prize, a Grammy and a golden globe. Wow. All four of those. I mean, I guess that makes sense. If somebody's going to do all that, it's Bono. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. Um, My favorite personal Bono moment is, uh, him, uh, mispronouncing, not not mispronouncing, but he was introducing Michael W. Smith. They, I think yeah, they did it was a concert. my concert. You were there. Yeah, okay. At Vanderbilt. This is good. I can't believe I forgot about this. When we saw him at Vanderbilt here in Nashville, he's like, you Nashville people, y'all are some of the greatest. He's like, Michael J. Smith. <laughs> Meaning Michael W. Smith. Oh, that's uh, great. Good job, like, Anna. you know, this is, okay, so like, you know, we've made no secret that we are both, we're both Christians, and that's sort of the community in which we, in which we live. Um, so in that community, uh, especially from like the 80s and 90s, early 2000s, Michael W. Smith was a huge name. It did not get yeah. bigger in Christian music than Michael W. Smith. He was the absolute top of the mountain. Absolutely. Peak, right? He was the golden boy megastar of Christian music. That shows you the difference <laughs> between being at the absolute summit of, of Christian, Christian music, music. and yeah. being Bono. Yeah. Like you are at the 100% top of your field and Bono <laughs> doesn't even know your name yeah. and you're both musicians. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? You're in the same genre. Yes. You're in the, you're just in different arms of the same body and the right <laughs> arm literally doesn't even know your name of the left arm. Yeah. That'd like, be like Michael Jordan being like, you know, you're one of the greatest basketball players ever. Christian Baitner. Yeah. Like, no, that's Christian Leitner, but close enough. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, so that's Bono. Um, moving on. We'll, we'll try to go. Good to the voice. Next. Good job. Good voice. Bonavox. Right. Um, so, on bass, Adam Clayton. That's actually his real name. Um, he's one of the few that, that uses his what real name. a loser. Name. Didn't even uh, change his name. Yeah, I know, right? He got hooked on pop music uh, due to Jesus Christ Superstar and hair. So that's how he got Jesus Christ Superstar. Which that's the, literally all I know. There's a They just redid Jesus Christ Superstar on TV. And yeah. I, uh, 
I don't know how I feel about, I'm not going to pick a side on, on that, but Sarah Bareilles on, I don't know how to love him is powerful. So I'm just going to leave it at that. She's <laughs> awesome. Um, he, and Adam Clayton's actually credited with putting the band together. Um, they were originally called Feedback, um, consisting of Bono, The Edge. I know, terrible name. That's huh? a good change, yeah. Yeah. Bono, The Edge, um, Mullen, Larry Mullen Jr., Dick Evans, who is the brother of David Hal Evans. Whoops. Huh? Should have stuck it out with the band there, Ouch. buddy. And Adam Clayton. So, like, the one that left, the brother. Wow. Um, yeah. So, apparently he was the only one in the band that owned an amp. So, but he wasn't, huh. a, he wasn't a very good bass player, but he was the only one with an amp. And he played wrong notes all the time, but they're like, dude, he's got the amp. So, and he helped put us together. So Wow. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's really simple bass parts um, through most of their stuff. Yeah. Uh, um, I would say probably his best bass parts, I was trying to think so that I could to talk about notoriety of him. Probably New Year's Day or maybe Bullet the Blue Sky. Mm, Those are Bullet, yeah, Bullet the Blue Bullet Sky the Blue is a Sky's solid got one. A good, a good and underrated, underrated role of the bass on uh, Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, too. It's got that one little thing that drives it along, the boom, 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 and it's real simple, but to me, I like the, like the, the little, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, we talked about how he, he plays guitar on one song, 40, which we talked about, but he also plays keys on City of Blinding Lights, which is on How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb, but everything else he just plays. Uh, bass, primarily Fender and Fender Precision and jazz basses, um, and on Boy and War, he used an Ibanez musician. Um, in 89, he was arrested in Dublin for large amounts of marijuana, but he got out by making a very sizable donation. So, <laughs> well. Um, and his housekeeper. Uh, a donation of marijuana? No, a donation of funds. Oh, okay. Which is, I mean, when you've got that much. <laughs> Here you go, cops. Yeah. Some, yeah. Now, uh, housekeeper Carol Hankins stole $1.8 million from him. Whoa. And is now spending, se- and spent seven years in prison. Um, wow. And- I wonder how, like, if that was just like a, like if he just had $1.7 million sitting Later. around. No, it was over time. You know. Like it was over time. Yeah, Yowzers. Skimming yeah. off the top. That's right. Never trust your housekeepers, people. That's right. Never. They will, always steal. We will never have enough money to own a housekeeper. <laughs> if you're a housekeeper and you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. But doing. you know you're out there stealing. <laughs> <laughs> and he's worn the same bracelet since age 21. Well, uh, the okay. same one. All right. Which is a So when he was 21, that would have been before the WWJD. So I wonder what... <laughs> Not a WWE bracelet. <laughs> uh, Does it say what? What would what would Irish Jesus do? Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, yeah. um, all right, the Edge. We'll move on to him. <laughs> okay, the on guitar. David Howell Evans. Um, he's called the Edge. Some there's different theories on why he's called the Edge. Mainly the the main theory is that it's because of the sharp edges on his face. Um, that's which. What? I, yeah, that's the one that most people say it's because, like he has a really square like jaw, he has a like sharp edgy face uh, but Bono says it's because of his sharp mind is why he okay. that's what Bono says but uh, another theory is that he's not heavily involved in anything he's kind of on the edge of everything huh which is he's not really heavily involved he's just I'm like I'd say he's pretty involved say, in you too yeah I think he's pretty invested but and so I started looking that up he almost left the band in 81 really but instead of leaving 
he wrote Sunday Bloody Sunday. Wow. Which is, yeah, it's a pretty good. Uh, Signature, yeah. And I was thinking, 81, that's a good year, because that's when me and Rob were born. True. So the edge stuck around. Yeah, just in for us. For us. Yeah, so thanks, he did it for us, thanks, man. Edge for doing that. He didn't have to, but he did. And there's he did it for us. tons of interviews with the edge, so I just tried to pick some that I thought were my favorites of things that he'd said about his playing style. And this was my favorite line he used. He says that his notes are expensive. He plays as few of notes as possible yes. because his notes are expensive. And that that's was like, so boom, well put. That's it. Yes. Like, I was going to say, like, he is really, he is the picture of playing efficiently. Yes. That's like, good. he does not waste notes ever. No. Well, I mean, the, the streets intro is like, what, five notes? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like five notes. But yeah, it's four. It's literally four notes yeah. that just get repeated. You know what I mean? As as far as actual well, different notes, different notes. Yeah, 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 five hits. Yeah, um, and yeah, he never like there, he doesn't have busy parts. I don't know. You could probably count on both hands, maybe the times that he strums all six strings. Yeah. together. Yeah, he you plays I mean? like usually plays two, three two strings three, at a time. Yeah. And his his style, which we'll talk about, but has become. So imitated across so many styles of music that it's become a a, a recognizable style unto itself. Like you know, you you your can, tone is like the edge. Yeah, okay. you could talk. You can talk to a guitar player and say, you know, give me just kind of an edge guitar part on this, uh-huh. and they know what you mean. Yeah, they know I'm going to play two three strings. I'm going to use some delay, and and I'm going to play kind of like this. You know, these sparse parts and whatever. Like it's insane how identifiable that has become because of him. Have you seen how he holds his pick? He holds his pick upside down. And that's how he gets with the, the fat part. With he fat picks part. with the fat he, part. He picks with the fat part. Interesting. He holds the thin part and picks with the fat part. Gosh, I would drop so, so many picks. <laughs> I, I drop. I mean, I drop picks as it is, but no way would I be able to hold that. Typically known for playing Gibson Explorers and Vox Ace. He only plays through Vox AC thirties. Um, the delay pedal. I looked up because I was like, I wonder which delay pedal he used then. Um, it was the Korg SDD three thousand. Never okay. even seen it. Before then, um, I figured it was like a Boss DD3 or something. Yeah. I was trying to DDA whatever they had then. But it was the Korg. Um, he uses Herodim guitar picks, and he's ranked number 38 on the Rolling Stones Top 100 Guitarist. Do you think that's kind of, you think he's about 38? you think he would be higher? Would you put him lower? I think in terms of, if you're talking about guitarists as far uh, in, in, in relation to their ability and and maybe even to some degree their you know, musical accomplishment, you know, you, you could put him in kind of a middle of the road. If you talk about influence impact, I think he would be up higher, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Deservedly up higher. But if it just depends on what your, what your opinion of a good guitarist is for the purpose of compiling that list. If you're talking about who freaking shreds the most, he's not going to be, you know, he's going to be not down there because he, that's not what he does. And I think the thing that's neat about him on, if when I'm putting him on the list, he's one of the few that, He's done the same stuff pretty much. He's not done anything really yeah, new yeah. since the 80s. And I think he's gotten higher on the list the further out it's gone. Whereas yeah. most other guitar players would get replaced by somebody better. I think he has raised up the list because more people are imitating him. Yeah, so absolutely. His influence over time has just grown because what he does is so tasteful and it doesn't take over a mix. Like if you play like the edge, then you're not going to get in anybody's no. way. Yeah. You, ever. You, yeah. It's just, you know, it's very, um, he knows his role and he's not trying to, you know what I mean? Like 
you can you can really keep a, a clean mix that way, especially live. And you he know, was the first to do it. Right. Like, he yeah. yeah, he sort of innovated that, you know, style and even tones, you know, he's a and I'm sure you've probably got information on this. He's a a a a tone chaser of the highest order. A tinkerer, you know, he's like he's a guy that you're gonna find rewiring pedals and and you know modifying you know patches on uh, you know whatever gear. The only um, person I could think of that would compare even close tone wise in my head is Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson, yeah, that's the other guy. Yeah, so. and he's got um, you know, he just has racks and racks and racks of gear that then he uses with MIDI controllers and that kind of thing to change their you know change their presets for live. Uh, use, but he's. If you go through and just think of some of the cool guitar parts he's come up with, just by experimenting with tones and sounds, like I think of um, uh, mysterious ways mm-hmm. that you know, it's such a weird sound. It's like an auto wah with some strange, really biting, you know, whatever. Just from him sitting turning knobs, it's not that it's some nasty part. It's like two notes. But it, he got it. The it got it to sound so cool that you want to hear it for thirty years. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's still as cool to hear it now as it was the first time you ever heard it. I mean, that's that's something. That's an yeah, accomplishment. That's, that's, yeah. So if you were to draw a picture of the edge, if I was to hand you a piece of paper and be like, sketch the edge. Uh-huh. Which hat do you draw him with? Beanie. He's, he's like, only gone hatless a couple times. See, you go yeah. beanie. I go beanie. Modern day edge. Yeah. I automatically think old school black hat edge okay. like on this right here. Yeah, okay. This is how I see edge. Yeah. So I feel like there's two different visualizations of the edge. Yeah. You've got beanie edge and then you've got hat I go, edge. Yeah, I go I go balding short hair edge Facial, and you're going more I'm rattle going, and hum long yeah, hair edge. I'm going long hair yeah. With the black uh, uh not what? not a derby hat. It's like a and it's not a cowboy hat, it's but a, it's that that hat. Somewhere it's in between. the edge hat. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, and it's like he, a Stetson sort of ish. Yeah. Uh, lived in the Menendez house for a while where the parents were like killed. Like Delisle and where the parents were killed in 89. He lived in that house for years afterwards, which I think afterwards? Be, afterwards. Ugh. Bought the house. Ugh. So could could you Gross, live in, man. Could you live in a house where you knew somebody had been killed? I don't know. Not I mean I I'm not sure. Maybe uh, if it was especially cheaper. Especially if I wasn't <laughs> if I, yeah, yeah, right. But if I'm high profile, I don't need the house for more profile. You know, I don't Maybe know. I guarantee he bought it for vibes. You know what I mean? Maybe. Like for the, dark uh, the vibes I could get in here, you know what I mean, with all this house is seen. Like I, I don't it. know. Maybe. Here here's my theory on stuff like that. Like, you know, I talk about um like I figure if I bought the Menendez house, okay, where, you know, people had been brutally murdered, my odds of being brutally murdered in that decreased. house also yeah. decreased dramatically. <laughs> like because odds are that nobody's going to come back and kill somebody in yeah. this house twice. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it's like, okay, you know, somebody says, well... Uh, it's like it's lightning never strikes yes it's like getting struck by lightning you know what i mean like well don't go there lightning just hit there well not lightning's not going to hit there again you know what i mean so i should be statistically i should be safer there than anywhere else like you know so that's the way i kind of see that kind of thing like 
you know, okay, if I want a house where I'm where I'm not going to be afraid that I'm going to get murdered, I'm going to go to the Menendez house. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's going to be security. Because, yeah, <laughs> like, people are aware. Yeah. So people people intentionally don't go near okay. that house because that's where the Menendez <laughs> yeah, murders happened. True. Okay, so, I see what you're saying. Ugh, I feel like maybe we're making light Let, of a pretty heavy edge. subject. Yeah, and we're laughing and smiling <laughs> while we're talking about Menendez. Like, oh, those Menendez oh, boys. Oh, crazy Menendez uh, All right, Larry Mullen Jr. <laughs> on drums. That is also his real name. No nicknames, no Edge, no Bono. Just Larry Mullen Jr. Um, I was thinking of best drum parts. Probably go the drums on Sunday, Bloody Sunday. Mm. That's probably yeah, the one good that good I groove. Um, that's the one I would go with him. Um, and when CBS actually records signed U two, they refused to sign them unless they fired Mullen because um, they didn't like him. No kidding. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't fired. So obviously, as of today, they stuck with him. I love it when bands stick with their yeah. hold of their guns on that. Um, he played in an Artane boys band growing up, so I, th- a lot of people say that attributes to his kind of military style of drumming. Okay, so which I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, he's Heavy always snare. He's always seemed to me like a very um, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Like he adheres to some very strict things. You know what I mean? Like he seems like a guy that I would go. You should probably lighten up a little bit. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like he, he wakes up in the morning and he gets his clothes out of a Ziploc bag. You know what I'm saying? And they're perfectly folded. Yeah. And like, I just feel like there is no margin for error. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. He's just a machine in every way. That's he, the vibe I get from him. He personally says that he thinks his kick drum technique is really weak. So he makes up for it with floor tom presence. Like he huh. doesn't feel like his kick drum is really strong. So that's why he does a lot of floor tom. Uh, floor time work. Uh, he played in marching bands, so he never really used the kick drum. So that's why his strength. Uh, and he's like, we were either in the studio or on tour, so I never really had time to practice my kick drum technique. Um, which is crazy to think that if you're in a band like that, you would make time to practice, I would think. But yeah. maybe not. Um, he said to have a preternatural sense of rhythm. Um, so th- to kind of go back to your how well-polished he is, there, Brian Eno was one of the guys that was helping record him with him, and he was working on an album with U2, and Mullen kept insisting that the click track was off and lagging behind the tracks, and Eno's like, you know, he adjusted it just to humor him, and later found out that he was right. The click track was off by six milliseconds. Wow. Like, that's freaking... That's solid. That's knowing, really. Yeah. Like that's, that's the human metronome. Right exactly. There. Way to be, Larry. Good on you. Which puts me on another track or another point is that i feel like edge is actually the timekeeper of the band Hmm. because he sets it with the delay it's true which is kind of backwards because most bands you know your drummer is your yeah is your timekeeper yeah in the case of you two i feel like the edge is the timekeeper of the band and they don't strike me they i mean they may play some stuff now live with click tracks and that sort of thing but they strike me as the kind of band that probably does not they do i know that they use pads and stuff because my dream job is to play keys for you too. Because mm. that guy, I mean, you would just sit there and hold just, chords yeah. underneath, and that's something I could do. Right. I, so if you guys are listening and you need a key player, yep. you up if you need help putting you over the top, I'm I'm that guy. That's right. You don't need you don't need Michael J. Smith for that. You, <laughs> <laughs> yes. you, you yeah. need JP Moser. That's, right. that's what you need. That's what you need. Yeah. Me on keys. Um, all four members of the band are on a stamp of Ireland. Okay, that's kind that of, seems that's about kind of right. Stamp you know. worthy. Yeah, 
Should have looked up great Irish stamps musicians. No, well, uh, uh, yes, yes, <laughs> great did. Irish stamps. I looked up great Ireland okay. stamps, and it's a lot of people that <laughs> you really did. I did, They're, and it's people that aren't Irish. Like it's like Elvis, Albert Einstein, like huh. people that are famous world. I was expecting to find like, no way, you're right, Irish, like James Joyce, yeah, yeah, or like, yeah, yeah. Or, I didn't know you were from Ireland, right? But no, it, huh? No, well, just, okay. So it kind of famous <laughs> Irish stamps. Yeah. Anyway, um, facts about the band: their first number one UK single was "Desire" from Rattle and Hum, huh? Um, and they got their big break in 1978 on St. Patrick's Day. Believe it or not, they play a Irony. show wow. on St. Patrick's Day. The serendipity of that. Okay. And the reason they write their own songs is they felt like they weren't good enough to cover other people's songs. Interesting. So, like most people, when they start out, are a cover band. Yeah. But they're like, no, we've never been a cover band. We're uh, just going to do our own we thing. We just do our own thing. And so I was actually just trying to think of covers that they do. I, I the only one I can think of right now is Helter Skelter. Yeah. Um, which is a great song. Oh, incredible. That riff rocks so hard. Like, Helter Skelter, the Beatles recording of it anyway, rocks as hard as anything that's out there today. I'm not crazy about the YouTube cover of that, and I, I love you guys, but I don't feel like you did, did, uh, did that one quite So, just. stick to the originals, guys. That's right. That's all right. Um, the only other thing I got on the band is, on the Joshua Tree Tour, they actually opened for themselves as a band called the Dalton Brothers. What? It was U2 dressed up, and they did Country Standards. And they were so well-dressed that they didn't... Wow. Yeah, they opened for themselves as the Dalton Brothers doing country standards. That's insane. They played three shows. I did not see them on Out of Love 2. Oh, man. That's awesome. Yeah. That's like, okay, that's such a Spinal Tap thing. Yes. Like, Spinal Tap in their reunion reunion concert thing, they did... They were their own opening acts. There's a, like, segment of them uh, as... And if you've ever seen the movie... Uh, what's it called? A mighty wind. Oh, a mighty wind. There's a there's a there's a group in there called the Folksmen uh, that's sort of patterned after like the Kingston Trio, those kind of folks folk groups. And it was and it was Spinal Tap, the guys from Spinal Tap, as the Folksmen doing folk music. Like, but you two literally went out and did it. That's hilarious. That's amazing. Um, so yeah, that's what I got on on Meet the Band. Pretty extensive Meet the Band sections. Thank yeah, you guys. But for But they deserve on. it. Thanks for hanging. I on. mean, they're freaking you too. You know, like they deserve. We deserve to know about you too, man. Uh, so getting back into the song a little bit, because there's still some meat to talk about with this song. Um, first, a little bit about the story of the song. We've talked about, you, you know, it's got these lyrics that are, you know, just talking about sort of being, um, well, first of all, like literally where the streets have no name, they, the, um, you know, the feeling of that is just being in a place where uh, you're free of sort of constraint and there's, you know, like I said, sort of an elevated Consciousness. That's the feeling you get from the lyric, but but the sort of consensus is that there's a there there was a place in Dublin, an area of Dublin, where the streets did not have names, but that you could tell a a um, someone's socioeconomic status by which side of the street they yeah. lived on. That there was such a disparity in uh, wealth and and uh, sort of. Um, societal status that literally one side of the street would, you know, the houses would be much more, um, you know, upper class and well-kept and literally across, across the street, you've got sort of dumpy, you know, poor, um, you know, houses and, and low income, you know, whatever. And then it was this, this whole area, but, and then the, that the streets there just didn't have, uh, names. And so that was, 
is the consensus is that that's sort of the impetus, at least for that line, where the streets have no name. Now, what's funny is it doesn't necessarily sound like a good place that you want to be. Like, it's not, you know what I mean? But I think maybe Bono's attempt was to, to take that idea and make it where the streets have no name in a, in a, in a way that makes people equal as opposed to being unequal. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, let's get to a place where this doesn't matter. Let's get above mm-hmm. that where the streets have no name. Um, so I, I, that's kind of my take on it. I don't know if you... That's good. It, no, you know, I, I like the way you phrase uh, it. I, I've been to um, Tokyo, and there's an area of Tokyo called the Ginza um, where the streets also have no name, and uh, it's very confusing. Uh, because it's in the middle of downtown Tokyo and it's tall buildings everywhere and everything's in Japanese and the streets don't have any names. And as an American in Tokyo, I found it to be quite confusing. Um, so I don't know if Dublin would have felt the same, but I'm going to go ahead and say that, uh, it was, I was, I was very, very lost and I was glad I had friends. Uh, so, so what happens with this song is um, The Edge sets out to write sort of the ultimate U2 live song experience. And he brings it back to Bono and the band, and they love it. Um, and they're like, yeah, this is going on the album, absolutely. you know. Um, but they had a difficult time recording the song. Uh, and they talk about it in numerous interviews and clips. Um, they said it, it, the intro sort of walks through these uh, shifts in time signature, and we'll, we'll get into it in a second. But um, once it once it locks in, once the bass and drums come in, it's a straight, you know, four on the floor, solid groove, you know, for the rest of the song. But they said at the beginning um, that it was almost like a foreign language, uh, trying to understand, uh, you know, how it worked and the arrangement with a couple of time signature shifts and um, chord changes. They they rehearsed it, but they kind of struggled to get a performance that they liked. Um, even to the point where uh, one of their producers, who's Brian Brian Eno, who is is you know famous for this um, production of this and many other albums, um, he said that basically um, half of the album sessions were spent trying to record a suitable version of this song. Like they spent so much time on it, and they ended up doing so many overdubs and that kind of thing to try and get it all right. That what they ended up with literally didn't have anything left of the original performance. Um, to the point that in his frustration, uh, he tried to destroy the tapes that they had been working on. And one of the other, um, the, the, the tape engineer, Pat McCarthy, um, saw him getting ready to erase the tapes and literally went and tackled him, like wrestled him to the floor to keep him from destroying the tapes. He didn't want to not do the song. He just wanted to just get a, a clean slate of, uh, you know, what they'd been working on that had been so frustrating. And um, thank goodness the guy wrestled him to the ground and they kept those tapes and that's what they ended up using was what they, what they had already had. They didn't, um, they didn't start over. Um, but what they ended up with is just a classic track and a classic intro with some classic guitar work. And uh, I think we should talk about that for a minute. What do you yeah, think? absolutely. Okay.
so there we've gotten into the intro uh, and into the 4-4 time signature. But what we have initially is a different time signature. And you can look online. Um, I'll tell you, I didn't like go buy the sheet music to this so I could know the official thing. But I'm just going to tell you how it is and save you a little trouble, okay? Because if you go online, people are talking about, is it 6-4? Is it 3-4? Uh, is it 6-8? Is it whatever? Let's just call this 3-4 time, and I'll tell you why. Um, if, if this is in 6-4, then it has one, two, three time signature changes in just the intro alone uh, before the drums and bass even kick in. If this is in 6-8 time, then God help us all. Uh, if it is in 3-4 time, it has one time signature change, and that is the time signature change from 3-4 to 4-4. Um, and so I'm going to play it again and kind of talk you through it. Um, and it's actually easier to do if we listen to a live version because Larry Mullen Jr., um, the drummer is hitting a hi-hat every couple of bars to keep the band in line, uh, and make sure everybody's on the same page. So I'm going to play you a little bit of the live version of the intro and it helps to, it helps to kind of parse this thing out and make sense of where the changes are. While Rob's looking up that live version, Larry Mullen Jr. actually spells his name J-N-R for the junior part instead of J-R period or the second. It's Larry Mullen J-N-R. Weird. Uh, yeah. So. All right. Here's a little bit of the live version from the Please EP from 1997. You hear the hi-hat. One, two, This isn't one, two, three, four, five, six, or six, four time. It's because there's an extra bar of three that would mean you'd have to do two additional time signature changes. So we're just going to go one, two, three, one, two. You can pretty much complicate it as much as you want to, but that seems to me to be the simplest way to count the thing. Uh, there's a part where he goes from playing that to going you could, if you wanted to, say that's a temporary foray into 6-8 time, but I, I, I think it's still it's still best to just consider it 3-4. The groove never goes from bop, 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 bop to... Which is what it would be if we were in six eight time. Everything revolves around the eighth note. We've talked talked about that before in these in these time signature changes. Whether this would be uh, six four three four six eight or four four, the eighth note in all those would stay the same, but the pulse would change. Uh, I think we talked about a little bit a little bit about that last season in the Billy Joel episode. The difference between feel of six eight. Uh, and three, four is really about where is the pulse. And so like your pulse is going to be, and you can kind of hear the crowd clapping, ka, 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 versus if it was six, eight, the eighth notes would come at the same pace, but it, it's, and, it, and a bar of six, eight and a bar of three, four take up the same amount of space. Um, but the pulse would go from ka, 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 to ka, 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 
Do yourself a favor, call the whole thing three, four times, and it's going to save you a lot of headaches when you're trying to figure out with the rest of the band, uh, you know, how, I don't know what they called it, Originally, clapping is a lot more fun in three four on this. Song yeah, too. it feels good. Like the if crowd is clap, eh, 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 so that the crowd doesn't have to go. You know, at some point, okay, guys, are we ready wait, for the wait, change? Like that's gonna you got you lost them. You took your live epic and you just confused everybody. Um, so, but apparently, like in the studio, they really struggled with this. So maybe in in the way the Edge wrote it out, maybe it was more complicated than it needed to be. Maybe in his mind, it's six four, and then here's an extra bar of three four, and then we go back to six four for another bar, and then into four four. Maybe that's or and then into six eight, then into four four, which is what it would be if you're calling this six four time. Um, I you know whatever, but apparently they like wrote it out on chalkboards in the studio and they're like, okay, here we go. And just really struggled to get that down. So just do yourself a favor, call it three, four time and be done with it and and be happy playing the song for the rest of your life. So there's the, the tempo. That's the tempo. That's time signature. Let's talk about the dotted eighth. Let's talk about the foundation of this edge classic, uh, tone, which is dotted eighth note delay. Okay, so now let's establish our four-four time uh, in in you know everything's kick, kick, kicked in and now we're this is our groove. One, two, three, four. Feels like home, right? Okay, we're in four-four. So that's where our pulse is. Let's go back one time and and listen to the uh, listen to the guitar. In the intro, and this is actually going to put us back in three-four time. But let's listen to just just hear the intro again. Okay, so our guitar part here is not complicated, um, and it's not even as complicated as it sounds. He's using an effect called delay uh, to make it sound like he's playing more notes than he actually is. What he's actually playing is just a series of uh, five notes going up and down. Or six notes. That's all he's playing over and over and over. Excuse me. Um, but he's using a, a what's called a dotted eighth note delay to make it sound fuller. And the basically, the delay pedal plays the same thing he is playing but it plays it a dotted eighth note behind where he plays it at you know 127 beats a minute. Okay, so I've I've I think I've devised a way for us to be able to demonstrate a dotted eighth note delay over a, just an audio source without being able to be able to see it. So basically, okay, if we're talking about quarter notes and eighth notes in four four time, we've got let's say I'm going to slow it down for the purposes of of, of uh, demonstration. But let's say we've got one two three, four. That's your quarter note. Your eighth note becomes one and two and three and four and. A dotted eighth is an eighth note and a half. In music notation, uh, you you put a dot on something and it adds an extra half length to whatever um, space that note occupies. So a dotted eighth note means an eighth note and a half. So if we're talking about that in, we've got one, two, three, four, one and two and three and four and dotted eighth note, dotted eighth note. That's kind of how that comes off. It gets played, misplayed sometimes as a triplet. It's not, it's not really a triplet. Uh, it, it occupies notes that 16th notes can fill, um, occupy space that 16th notes can fill. But I think I've come up with a way for me and JP to be able to demonstrate this if we can pull it off. We're going to try. Okay. So I'm going to be doing the snap 
and the the four. That's I'll right. Be, I'm going to be in four. So JP's going to give you eighth notes at, at the what is what would be the original strike of the guitar. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm going to play you just for a second. I'm going to play you a clip that I found uh, from the Howard Stern show of uh, of the Edge playing this part with no effects. Okay, so this would be what is getting sent out from his guitar before it goes to any delay. Okay, so that's the original signal before any sort of effects. That's going to be JP in this demonstration. He's going to give you the tempo, and he's going to give you... The, the the original signal, which is going to sound something like is that this. that a good speed? I'm not a human. Uh, let's slow it down a little bit more. Da, 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 da. Okay? So he's going to give you this. Okay? Now, pause. And I'm going to give you that same signal. But mine is going to be at a dotted eighth note delay from his. Okay? So count it off. Ignore me. And good? I'll join you. Mm-hmm. Is this good right here? I'm going to try to block you out. Okay. So here we go. One, two. Oh, sorry. Do it, do it. I, I'm going to try and join you in real time at a dollar. Oh, okay. Eight. So, so you're going to come count in it with off me. in four, and I'll join. Okay, here we go. One, two, three, four. Uh, okay, so what Pretty we close. did successfully, I think, uh, what we demonstrated We'll play it back as, later and be like, man, we were way off. That's right. <laughs> but what you end up with is instead of an eighth note sound, you end up with what sounds like really full 16th notes because of the delay. Um, and it's not, it's not a 16th note delay. If it was a 16th note delay, it would sound different. Instead of, you get sort of alternating delays. If it was a 16th, it would, it would go, instead of going... With with jumping notes, it would be that's what it would sound like if it were a sixteenth note delay. But you still get a sixteenth note feel, but the delay is farther behind, and so it sounds like notes are kind of jumping all over the place. Um, and and what you do is you set the delay at a very high um, level so that its level uh, in this case is almost exactly the the same loudness as the original signal that's really one of the keys to this is having a delay signal that is you know most of the time when you hear delay it's about maybe half of the original signal in volume um but in this case it's at a really high volume almost equal and sometimes equal to completely the volume of the original signal which makes it just sound like like he's striking striking the note exactly all over again so it really sounds like he's you know, all these all these notes are flying all over the place, and it sounds like wow, really, you know. But he's just going. But the delay is is filling it out and making those sixteenths happen. So, you got any other times when people use dotted eights? Yeah. Okay. So this has become a standard of you know every guitar player. You know, especially in church music, Christian music, it's a great way to fill out a sound and not have to play you know, tons of notes, uh, but a great way to fill up a space. Uh, a, a few of my favorites. I, do you have some also? I, I can, got two, two or three good ones. Okay. Uh, one of my favorites would be Cathedral okay. by uh, Van Halen, Eddie play, Van Halen. Play a little Let's play a little snippet of Cathedral. We're going to play a little of these snippets, so hang with That's us right. so, so you can hear what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> So that is, it sounds like he's got notes flying all over the place, but really he's just going. 
bump, bump. Now he's got the added, Mr. Uh, Sandman. The uh, yeah, <laughs> the added difficulty on his is that he's not picking any of those notes. He's, he's actually hammering them on with his finger and using his other pinky to swell. control volume swells, or using it, not his pinky necessarily, but his other hand to just control volume swells, which adds a layer of difficulty to that one. But but all he's playing is bump, 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 arpeggios, bump, 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 and bump, 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 is what you get out of it. But that's just a dotted eighth delay at, at a level that is equal to the original signal. That's the effect you get. Uh, why don't you give us one? Um, I'm going to go Temper Trap Sweet Disposition. I have no idea what that is. It's awesome. Okay, <laughs> okay let's take a listen. Yeah, so that's uh, that's exactly it. And you can hear on that one, and a lot of times this is probably as well. And I'm sure the Edge has this also that uh, you do you allow for more than one instance of the delay. So in other words, if you hit a note at got 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 got, it's not just going got got, which would be a single eighth note delay. It's probably going got 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 got, and each one fades out a little bit. So it gives you a nice big thick. Um, you know, but um, the first repeats, like he said, are loud. Yeah. So it's like, it's right. The first heavy in the mix. Yeah. And then it decays. It's called decay over time. Uh, and it, and each one gets successively quieter, but it's being replaced by more notes. So there's always just this, you know, this pulse. Um, I want you to save yours because mine's not a closer. Like I shouldn't close with mine. Okay. Yeah. I have two more. Okay. I've got, okay. Then you do one. I'll do one. And then you save your good one for the end. Cause I don't have a winner. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Lincoln Brewster um, from the album, actually, where he played guitar, Daryl Evans' Freedom, yes. which is a all-time Great classic album. like worship album. Uh, and the song is called I, I Am In Love With I'm You. I Am In Love With You. And it's like That's a nine-minute song, and it's got this great solo in the beginning um, that is Lincoln Brewster before he was like the man. Um, he was just becoming the man. And um, so, yeah, let's take a little bit of a little bit of listen to it. Same concept, but great execution. Solid example of that. It sounds like he's playing a million notes, but he's just going bink, 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 bink. Um, so that's that's one of my favorite examples. What you got? Well, I'll keep with the Christian theme then. I'm going to go Planet Shakers, Nothing is Impossible. Oh, yeah. Oh, good that's one. The- yes. Uh, and that re- reminds me of actually another one that's in pop culture that's almost a direct ripoff of Where the Streets Have No Name. Uh, but uh, hang on. Let's give a little Planet Shakers, Nothing is Impossible. Through you, I can do that sort of ringing through a dead giveaway is that you kind of get that syncopated rhythm uh, but it's caused by the delay not by an actual striking of the note that one makes me think of a recent one which is really a direct I think has to be an homage to this song which is the opening uh, line of shut up and dance 
Yeah. By, uh, oh, that's good. Walk the, walk the moon. Uh, walk, the moon. Uh, walk, walk the moon, not walk off the earth, which is the cover. I've band seen them three times, and they're great. Yes. Walk the moon is fantastic. Um, good call. It's, it's literally almost a direct like quote of of where the streets have no name, tone, and everything. I think Play it's an homage. Just a second of that one. That's, sure. that's worth listening to. I mean, they're just they're just ripping them off. No, I think that's honestly tribute, like because their whole vibe is very '80s and like you know. They're, so I think that's a that's just an homage, really. Uh, and then my last one is going to be um, the theme song to the Michael Jordan era Chicago Bulls when they're introducing oh, the teams. Yeah. Oh, this is going to be it. this is serious by the Alan Parsons, Alan project. Parsons project. And why don't we just let this take us out this week? Oh, dude, are we going to um, do the? And now the starting <laughs> sure. lineup. Can I do it? I'll let yes. Can I'll I do let it? You. Oh, I want to be Johnny Red Kerr. Yes, I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, so and this is actually I've thought about introducing this as as maybe a song for us to do because this leads in. This is Eye a leading track to Eye in the Sky, oh, man, which is a yes. very cool song. Oh, that's a teaser that I didn't know was coming. We just teased ourselves. Good <laughs> so, call on that, Rob. Yes. So here we go. This is serious by the Alan Parsons project. Oh, I'm so excited. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us for the beginning of season two of the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Johnny Red Kerr, pretending. <laughs> yeah. J.P. Moser here. It's going to be great. Let's listen to some music. And now, the starting lineup for your Chicago Bulls. At forward from Central Arkansas, Scotty Pippen. I can't remember where Horace Grant went. At uh, Horace Grant. <laughs> the man in the middle from San Francisco, 7-1, Bill Cartwright. I don't remember where John Pippen was. He was 7-1? 7-1. Anyway, next is John Paxson. Edgard from North Carolina. Michael. Uh, he always understood. Michael. Michael. You want to give him extra attention. That's right. Good stuff, guys. All right, thanks for joining us for Where the Streets Have No Name on the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob. I'm JP. Go listen to some music. <laughs>